Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go in to the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial. What is it, Joe? 103.9 on the FM dial, correct? Correct. Serving, correct. Serving the New York metropolitan area. Uh, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith. And uh, please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Network radio mobile app so that you could have access to all of our station's content. And we'd love it if you want to catch Joe and I on our website. We have the frontline, uh, excuse me, the frontline TV.com, the frontline TV.com. Um, and uh, you could get a lot of our content there, all of our social media shows we put on there. Uh, so that would help us out a lot. And certainly, we appreciate your prayers. Um, in the meantime, we are very pleased and honored today to be joined by Robert Riley, and we're going to be discussing his new book, America on Trial, A Defense of the Founding. I love the title, you know, as though the, the founding needed a defense, but we're going to get into it because I guess nowadays um, the founding does. Um, so we're going to have a great conversation with Bob Riley. And for those of you who are not familiar with him, we want to uh, give a brief uh, bio. Robert R. Riley is director of the Westminster Institute. In his 25 years of government service, he has served as special assistant to the president and as director of the Voice of America. He was also senior advisor for information strategy to the Secretary of Defense and taught at National Defense University. He attended Georgetown University and the Claremont Graduate University and has published widely on American politics and morals, foreign policy and classical music. His other books include Making Gay Okay, How Rationalizing Homosexual Behavior is Changing Everything, also Surprised by Beauty, A Listener's Guide to the Recovery of Modern Music, and also The Closing of the Muslim Mind, How Intellectual Suicide Created the Modern Islamist Crisis, Robert Riley, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe, brother. Joe and Joe, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Excellent. Thanks again. Bob, we always start with the prayer because all good things start with the prayer, and this is a good thing. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, before you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O mother of the word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency hear and answer us. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Bob, I want to jump right into this. I did some research, um, you know, before the uh, interview, and I, I heard you talk a lot about Logos. Um, we've interviewed E. Michael Jones. He wrote a book on Logos Rising. We're very familiar with the term. Um, how did Logos influence the American founding? I think this is a good start and a very important aspect of this conversation. Well, Joe, I give about a 380-page uh, answer to the question you've just asked me. So, <laughs> I love it. I know, yeah, it's the heart of the book. And the book begins uh, with the first use of that term, so far as we know, in pre-Socratic uh, Greek philosophy, with people like Heraclitus, who noticed that uh, there was an order in nature and what could account for this nature, which is apprehensible by our, our minds, our reason? And he speculated uh, that behind everything, there is this divine wisdom. And the name he came up for that divine wisdom was logos, which is, of course, the Greek word with which we're so familiar from the Gospel of St. John, for reason, for word and for reason. So this divine wisdom is reason. And this accounts for the rational order in creation, our own reason through which we're able to apprehend this order, and 
our obligation to live by it so that we come to the moral code by understanding the nature of things. This was a hugely influential teaching at the foundation of Western civilization uh, that our reason can know the difference between right and wrong by examining our natures and nature as a whole, which of course comes from this divine, is an expression of this divine wisdom. So uh, the key to this within that Greek world was the contest between two views of things. One that right makes might, I mean that might makes right, the stronger gets to decide what is right, or that right makes might, that no, no, it's, it's the rule of reason uh, by which you need to order your life. And it's not simply the imposition of your arbitrary will as the source of the order to things. These two principal schools of thought, that reality is constituted by will or in power, or that it's constituted by reason and rationality. These butted heads in the ancient Greek world, uh, we can see its triumph in the works of Socrates and Aristotle, and the great influence that they later had on the medieval world. Um, and of course, most profoundly in Christian revelation and that electrifying start to the gospel of St. John, when he says in the beginning was the, and we'll use the Greek word logos, in the beginning was the logos and the logos was with God and the Logos is God, and through Logos all things are made. And here we have a confirmation in Revelation that God himself is reason. This is why the universe is constituted in a rational order, and man's mind can apprehend this, but then the special extraordinary revelation in Christianity was that the Word became flesh, that Logos uh, was incarnate. You can imagine Heraclitus having speculated on Logos if he met Logos walking through the door. That indeed was what happened uh, with the incarnation of Jesus Christ. So this reinforced the whole notion of uh, th that reason constituted reality because it was made through that divine word through Christ as Logos, and therefore the obligation to live according to our reason. You know, not only, of course, was this uh, the teaching from Aristotle in his ethics and the politics, but you can see this resonating in the Middle Ages in the work of Thomas Aquinas, who identifies sin as irrationality. Sin is an act against reason. Why? Because reason tells us what is right and wrong according to our natures, and to uh, commit an act against our nature that's harmful to our nature is an act of irrationality. Uh, now, Joe, just to not eat up the whole hour with this answer, we can, we can jump to the American founding as an expression in the late 18th century of the struggle between the rule of reason or the rule of will and power. The British Parliament at that time had assumed absolute power over the American colonies, and obviously they were taxing it without uh, representation and consent. So they were ruling human beings as if they were less than human beings. That is, they didn't acknowledge their reason, their free will, and their obligation to obtain the consent of the American colonists. So it was a pure expression of the will to power. And the parliament uh, made it clear in one act that they could legislate concerning the American colonies on any matter whatsoever. The American Revolution was the restitution of the primacy of reason. As you can see, it appealed to in the Declaration of Independence and in all the writings of the leading founders. 
that it was reason, the primacy of reason, not the primacy of will and power that would rule the American Republic, which was fashioned in such a way uh, to reflect that primacy of reason and the consequent rule of law due to the equality of all persons. Sorry, Joe, that was a- No, it's no, good. That was, that was, that was, that was a, a stem winder. No, 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 that's just fascinating. Robert Riley's joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Joe, I have a thought, but you were about to say. But I was going to say, I, I was going to talk a little bit about the summer of 2020 because we're talking about reason and we're looking at what occurred in that summer. There was nothing reasonable that was going on. Um, Joe, if you want an image of anti-Logos, the, 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 the lack of order, let's say, the lack of reason, the lack of rationale, you're, you're, you're spot on. I, I, I want you to finish your thing, but, but also add on, uh, Professor Riley, please also tell us or touch on how those who champion reason, it seems, who say that we as Catholics are ir or, or unreasonable, irrational, superstitious. These people who champion reason, they seem to champion a whole bunch of things nowadays that are anti-science, anti-reason, anti-rationality. One can just think of their championing of, of the, the, the slaughter of the innocents in the womb, okay? To see that the same people who's, who are always talking about reason act an awful, an awful uh, a lot unreasonably, if, if you know what I mean. Oh, well, I mean, that's manifest. In, and one expression of it, Joe and Joe, is the fact that uh, the American founding itself is under attack. Uh, from a number of directions, but most notably and familiarly from the left and from the, the Marxist left and the pseudo-Marxist left, uh, in which they denigrate the founding as just an act of self-interest on the part of the founders. They can't understand anything outside of self-interest because that's what Marxian thought is based upon. People can have no thoughts. They can act in no way that is not uh, according to their self-interest. And only Marx rises above this to understand it and asks for uh, the, the, uh, the leadership of the proletariat to overthrow the existing economic relations that express the self-interest of these capitalist dogs and replace it with the workers' paradise. Now, not all the people in, in those riots, Joe, uh, were Marxists, but all of them, and I, and I think Josh Mitchell, whom you know, well, did a brilliant job of uh, explicating this in his essays in his book. All of them have some notion of that proletariat paradise. All of them are animated by a sense of grievance, you know? The American founders, and still many people today, understand the condition of fallen nature that we don't have within our own means uh, the necessary ingredients for complete happiness. Uh, we're unhappy. We do things that are wrong. We need help to write our lives and reorder our passions according to reason. And should we live according to uh, the moral law, and through the grace of God, we may reach that state in the afterlife that really is paradise. Uh, but it doesn't exist here, nor it can exist here. It can't. Once you foreclose that possibility, uh, you may displace religion, as these people have, but it's replaced with some millenarian view of an earthly paradise, and it fires their sense of grievance, as Josh was so uh, brilliant in, in setting forth, uh, because they feel that they don't already have this because of someone else's fault or some institution's fault. And therefore, they direct their ire against the government, the police, the state, uh, the capitalist running, who, whomever it may be, they they will attack because they think with their elimination, those things that they should already have will be returned to them. In other words, they envision a state of nature in which all the ingredients to happiness are already there and are due them. 
And the fact that they don't have them is somebody else's fault. Mm. So that that fires this implacable sense of grievance, grievance because they don't have uh, the, the right understanding of their own fallen condition and what's necessary to live in, in the context of it uh, through reason and grace. So that that really um, that fires every left wing revolution as it fired these people who went about destroying statues of, uh, you know, Abraham Lincoln and George Washington, of, of all things, who were so uh, responsible for creating a political order in which they have the freedom to do these things, but they don't have freedom to torch courthouses. They don't have freedom to loot stores or set fires to public buildings. So clear violations of the rule of law, which is should be the rule of reason, and of course those responsible for the enforcement of the rule of law and the rule of reason abrogated their responsibilities excuse these people and even encourage them. And that's why the damage was so widespread and why it lasted so long. You're with I, Joe and Joe at the front line and we are talking with Robert Riley discussing his new book, America on Trial, A Defense of the Founding. Joe Racinello, what do you got? No, but I, I think you hit it right on the head. They don't know who they are. I mean, ultimately, God, we were created by God, for God, and to be with God for all eternity. They're projecting their their shortcomings. We, as Catholics, when we fall short, and God knows I fall short a lot, we go to confession. And we understand, and you hit this right on the head perfectly, Bob, we'll never have paradise here. A Catholic understands that. We strive for perfection, but we'll never have it. They're trying to create heaven on earth. It's never going to happen. Not only will it never never happen, it will destroy what good uh, has been able to be obtained through the rule of law and responsible exercises of freedom and the conditions of life that allow us to work out our eternal destiny uh, through uh, trying to live lives of virtue and when we fail, Joe, just as you said, getting back up by the grace of God, confessing and going at it again. One See, thing about other, oh, Joe, if I can just make this. Please, piece. please. Here is another absolutely essential aspect of this. The American founders, Aristotle himself, certainly Thomas Aquinas, the great seminal thinkers of Western civilization, this is so keenly appreciated by, by John Adams and the other great American founders understood that government hasn't within its power uh, a solution to the problem of evil. That's why in the American Constitution, you don't, you don't see that mentioned. The, the government is not a salvific engine to save man. This is particularly... Um, appreciated within Christianity and Judaism, it's it's God who saves man. Man is saved through Jesus Christ, not through uh, your government. And as so long as you are anchored in this belief, you won't look to your government to undertake these salvific projects. And that is the view uh, at the basis of which the appreciation for limited government arose. Government is limited because its purview are terrestrial matters to so arrange man's life that he can uh, pursue that eternal destiny in God uh, through his faith and through God's grace outside the purview of government. I mean, government should, as St. Augustine said, provide the tranquility of order within which man can pursue his supernatural destiny. But government isn't the means through which to reach that. If you confuse that, as, as, your 20, as our 2020 rioters did, you will end up uh, with the French Revolution and the horrific massacres during it, or you'll end up with the Russian Revolution and the legacy of blood and destruction in the scores of million there, or even more horrifically, 
in the uh, communist China, which had produced even a more horrific body count. All of these, with uh, some rationalization for these mass slaughters, the establishment of you know the final happiness of of man on earth. Bob, just to chime in on that, because I was thinking that uh, before you brought up the French Revolution, why is it, or let me put it like this, we as Catholic men, I think in particular in America and others, but I think particularly Catholic men need to pre appreciate what you brought up. In other words, these seminal figures in Western civilization, the idea of logos, the idea of order, because you talked about getting people looking to the government. We have to tell people, using historical example, as you did, the bloodbath of the French Revolution, the bloodbath of, of, the, of, the, 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 of Red October and, and, and what followed, the, the Great Leap Forward and the Cultural Revolution in China, Cambodia, all of it, and say, what has all of this brought us, all of this anti-Logos, this anti-order, this idea that we're going to give the government all this power? I'd like to break it to these people. We don't need to see what happens when we give government all this power. All we need to do is do what you just described, Bob. Go back to the French Revolution. It's there if people would pick up a damn history book and go look at the dangers of doing that. And 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 I, I just would I would tell people, you want to give government all this power. Government needs all that. If you're going to reshape society and you're going to create heaven on earth as you think you can, well then you have to give the government not only the power, like all, all these, let's say, powers over over our civil institutions. Okay. The government then has the power as it did during the French Revolution and the other revolutions to go out and murder millions of people in the name of this utopia that, that, that they're looking to, to create. And America was never supposed to be that. I guess getting back to your book, the, the, the defense of the founding, okay? America was never supposed to be that, but that seems to be where we're at. If these people had true power, Joe and I have said at the front line with Joe and Joe all the time, Bob, if these people had real power, like if the Barack Obamas of the world had real power, like that Stalin had or Mao had, we'd all be toast. Thoughts, please. No, no, for sure we would be, and and so would these people. They don't understand that they would be amongst the first to be eliminated. Well, totalitarianism is the uh, purest ex political expression of the will to power and uh, finds its justification in that pure exercise of will uh, through which, uh, with the aid of science, it thinks it can reconstitute reality. And of course, there are many people in the United States who have fallen victim to this idea that uh, science is their savior because it can rejigger reality. And, you know, this perverted view is, is also at the basis of the transgender nonsense where people mutilate their bodies and, and the thoughts that it can change them uh, into another gender. But, you know, I have a simple prescription for the young people rioting in the streets who think they already should have everything, is just uh, send them on a two-week to, uh, trip to Venezuela without any toilet paper. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> That'll wake them up. <laughs> you can get a first-hand view of what uh, this kind of government looks like in practice and, and see how they like it. Yeah, tell me about it, Bob. If they're unhappy with it, let them try to demonstrate for more toilet paper, and uh, then they may never come back to, to the land of, you know, even though there are shortages at Costco occasionally. <laughs> well, now, under, under Mr. Biden, there sure are shortages. I, uh, I want to talk about hope, though, for a second, because, I mean, I, I went to college uh, in the 90s, and people had hope. I mean, we went to college and we went to graduate school and we said we will get jobs and we will advance in our lives. These young people that are attracted to this, they don't believe in God and they don't have hope. They have debt that they can't seem to overcome. And they're buying into things that, frankly, logically speaking, will never satisfy, but yet they put blinders on and buy into it anyway. Is it because of a lack of hope? I mean, some of these people, Bob, let's be honest. I mean, they go to some fancy schools. They're pretty smart. I mean, you give them a test, they're going to score real high, yet they buy into this nonsense. I think it's just because they don't have hope. Well, as you know, hope is a theological virtue, and without faith, it's, it's very hard to have a font of hope. Um, you can hope in, in secular things and hope for worldly success, 
ultimately these things disappoint as as all the great classic authors would let us know. Uh, so it depends on what you invest your hope in. Now, I'm by nature this pessimistic Irishman. I went to college much earlier than you did at the cusp of the, um, the hideous sexual revolution and uh, the huge student and hippie marches against the Vietnam War and this kind of thing. And I saw the up close the disintegration of American society beginning. Now, one of the huge blows since, Joe, you mentioned abortion earlier, was when that uh, Roe v. Wade decision was made and the floodgates to infanticide were opened in this country. That was extremely discouraging and enervating. One, you'd think you would lose hope in the face of it. But we haven't. We didn't because we are animated by a sacred obligation, not only from our Catholic faith, but as Americans. I got in an argument with a woman at the pro-life march uh, the other day uh, who was complaining about the bishops and the separation of church and state. I, I, I talked to her for a while, but anyway, the, Thomas Jefferson wasn't a Catholic. None of those on the committee to write the Declaration of Independence were Catholics. But they're the ones who said, God-given inalienable rights to life, to life, number one, to life. Now, I have been recharged for another year with hope. Because my wife and I, and my youngest daughter, she went with her school, but we were at the March for Life in Washington, D.C. And some close to 150,000 people. I was almost in tears because I saw the spine of America there. I saw these young people and others marching, singing, smiling for the right to life. All the propaganda, all the corrupt education, all the corrupt media, the constant hounding of our culture against this has not broken them. They're the ones who, through their faith, are hope. And to have seen it, uh, the magnitude of it and the energy of it and the wonder of it, I, I just, I, I was overwhelmed. I was, so, I was so happy and moved. I'm going to tell you just another little story. Oh, yeah, for part of the time, by the way, I, I fell in, in a, a group of marchers who were from the, the Lutheran Missouri Synod all wearing light green caps and singing a beautiful song to Jesus. It, it, was, it was very moving. Of course, overwhelmingly, the march is Catholic, as you know, but to see our other brothers and sisters in Christ, who, by the way, as you are aware, in the American South, in so many states, they're in the forefront of the pro-life legislation to restrict or eliminate abortion. And the state courts, the federal courts knock it down. And these dear people, these dear Baptists and others get in there and just pass another law. Because they, uh, like the Catholics, are indefat indefatigable in their support uh, for the, the sanctity of human life. It's, it's a very beautiful thing to see. Now, I just want to briefly mention. Bob, uh, if I may. I'm sorry. Um, no, no, that's okay, Bob. It's radio, so we do have to take a break. Okay, uh, do, do want to mention that Joe mentioned Joe and I mentioned on our show recently on social media uh, about the giants of the pro-life movement who are just ordinary people, people like Nellie Gray, who decided, you know, we're going to march and we're going to stand up. And 49 years later, we may be on the cusp of Roe versus Wade getting overturned. We're gonna continue this fascinating conversation with Robert Riley. We're discussing a lot of things, but we wanna talk about his book, America on Trial, A Defense of the Founding. So you're joining the front line with Joe and Joe. 
on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial. Serving the New York metropolitan area, please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app so that you could have access to all of our station's content. And you could subscribe to Joe and I on our website, thefrontlinetv.com. If you want all of our other content, stick around. This is a great conversation with Robert Riley. We will be right back. Hey, listen to all five of our original Veritas shows. Every Wednesday at noon, you can catch Let Me Be Frank, where Bishop Frank Caggiano talks about spirituality, church news, and fun stories from his Brooklyn childhood and his life. You can hear The Frontline with Joe and Joe every Tuesday and Thursday at noon. Their guests include the biggest names in the Catholic world, and Joe and Joe talks to them from the perspective of the everyday Catholic. Thursday nights at 8 o'clock, tune in for the only late-night talk show on Catholic media anywhere. It's Not That Late with Liv Harrison. And at noon on Friday is Restless. It's four millennials talking about, well, life as millennials in today's crazy world. Yes, it's possible to be young and Catholic. Right after that, at 1230, you can hear the focus on Veritas, where we put the focus on good works and the good people doing those works. Those are the five Veritas shows, and there's more on the way. Stay up to date at VeritasCatholic.com or on the mobile app. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello in the breach with Robert Riley, and we are having a fascinating discussion about America, and specifically Robert's new book, America on Trial, A Defense of the Founding. Uh, Bob, you were about to uh, go into a story. We'd love for you to continue, please. Right. Since we were talking about hope and people who are animated by real hope and what they do as in the March for Life, I'm reminded of what happened here in Virginia, which you know, through our elections last November, changed the state and overturned uh, in both the, the, uh, the legislature in Virginia, the governorship, lieutenant governorship, uh, into a, the pro-life column. Now, how did that happen in what has become a heavily democratic state? Well, in Loudoun County, just south of me here, uh, the transgender agenda was being uh, uh, implemented by the public school system, as it is here in Fairfax. And a young man on the faculty, when told to refer to this young girl who was being chemically disfigured with hormones or whatever, that, that she was now to be referred to as he, he refused to do it. He said he wouldn't do it, that his faith required him not to do it and to recognize God-given reality. Now, this young man, I think, was an evangelical Christian. He probably had never read Aristotle or Thomas Aquinas, but he was animated by a faith, and he was suspended by the school preparatory to his being fired. Let's just say he had his Thomas More moment and he passed. And this became a cause celebre in Virginia. It awakened parents to the insanity that is being pushed in the public school curricula and created a groundswell against this that helped propel uh, Governor Yonkin to victory here last November. And of course, he just took office a few, few days ago. Just because this one young man in his 20s had the courage to stand up against that. It just shows what the power of this moral and spiritual witness can still do. And the other element of hope is how it resounds. It still resounds. People still have an appetite for the truth in their souls. So when you speak it, uh, it reverberates. And as corrupt as things have become in this country, I can speak to a variety of audiences and still appeal to the founding truths of the United States and the Declaration of Independence, 
and they're still stirred by it. But you have to do it. Uh, you know, you can't, as President Biden did, misquote the Declaration of Independence. I mean, you you have to actually know it. <laughs> <laughs> and understand. You're joining, us at, you're joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. Great conversation with Robert Riley. We are talking about his new book, uh, America on Trial, A Defense of the Founding. Joe Racinello. I know we, we so Joe, we have Bob on the show. We already know we're going to have to have him back because we could talk to, we could talk to Bob for, for hours, but let's try to cram as much as we can into the next uh, 25 minutes or so. Joe, where do you want to head? Well, I want to talk about, cause you're talking about the woke class, Bob. I mean, I work in corporate America and I'm a Catholic. I work with Jewish people. I work with all types of people and you cannot say, I'll just use as an example. You can't say, I believe in traditional marriage publicly anymore. The woke class has convinced the mainstream, educated people, that if you're a practicing Catholic or a practicing Jew, that you are not a good American citizen. Based upon that simple idea that I believe in traditional marriage, 10 years ago you could say that. You can't say that anymore. Why are they wrong? I want to talk about how a good Catholic is clearly a good citizen. Well, first of all, Joe, that's another book, which... Uh, Write it, Bob. I'll buy it. <laughs> no, it's, it's already been written. It, that's the book that was uh, mentioned in, in Joe's introduction of me, Making Gay Okay, How Rationalizing Homosexual Behavior is Changing Everything. And in there, I give uh, the, the critical analysis of the argument against natural marriage and the foundation of marriage in nature as explicated by Aristotle and all the great thinkers. And of course, at the founding of the United States, uh, a seminal to the foundation of the life of the American Republic. So an attack on the family, you know, you can read Marx and Engels on the family uh, just as they wish to eliminate hierarchy. And this is true also of Rousseau, by the way, you would want to eliminate the uh, responsibility and power of parents, most especially the father, and remove from them the education of their children so their children could be uh, molded according to the criteria of the state and not according to the God-given responsibilities of the parents. Um, that would take, I think we need another show for me to go into uh, how family is, is rooted in nature and how these grotesque distortions of it are destroying our society. Because if you destroy the family, everything goes with it. And that's the source of so much disorder. My younger, not my younger, my oldest daughter is now teaching at a parochial school in Chicago in a somewhat poor neighborhood and the parents of these children care enough to pony up to pay for that Catholic education but what she sees is the result of the destruction of family of how many of these poor kids come from one parent families how many tell her you know which grandparent they'll be with this weekend or which parent or my parents are getting divorced, or they're already divorced. And some of them are uh, in fifth grade, functionally illiterate, incapable of following the most basic instruction. They're the ones, they're the victims of this, these children. And of course, they're the future of this country, which is being destroyed through uh, this, this, uh, this victimization of them. Joe, you spoke earlier about these uh, college graduates and good schools. They're victims as well, because the universities abrogated their responsibility to form them, to think critically, and to give them the kind of education through which they would have confidence in reason to apprehend reality and not to be simply, simply uh, um, creatures of their passions. Mm -hmm. Which is why isn't that how but Bob uh, Robert Riley joining us to the front line with Joe and Joe Robert Riley, but isn't that how let's say those who let's let's call them leftists because that it, it is really the problem right now. I mean the right has its problems too for Joe and I from from our point of view. 
But you have to be able to enslave people in order to control them. So rather than, as you alluded to earlier, um, and a very big theme on our show, many of our shows, is the idea that we need to we need to enlighten people and educate people that their reason needs to control their passions. And if they're and if it's the opposite way around, you're not free. That is a lie that you're being told. You're not free if you buy into the sexual revolution of the 1960s. You have become a slave to the state, while at the same time, they're telling you, well, we're, we're here to liberate you. So, I, I mean, and it's such an important, it's such an important idea, um, and I'm glad you brought it up. I did want to ask you this because you mentioned you were talking about family, but isn't as part of our founding, which you wrote a book about, okay, the, it, the our founding necessitates the need for civil institutions, okay, um, whether it's the church and and to and to nurture those institutes, the family being primary, um, the church, um, let's say uh, all, all all sorts of um, the, a free press, which is enshrined in our constitution, the idea that the press is 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 free. Why? Why is it hard for people to understand that in all these revolutions, going back to the French revolutions, it's all those institutions that need to get torn down, central to which is the family. A great scene, and I'd love for you to comment on it. I know I could get a little long-winded, Bob Riley, I apologize. A great scene Joe and I always talk about in the movie, The Killing Fields, um, where the communists in Cambodia are, are, are indoctrinating the kids, and they call up one of the kids, and they give them a crayon, and on the on the poster board, there's a stick figure of an of a mother and father, right? You could tell like it's a man and a woman, and the and they're holding the hand of a, a stick figure of a little kid, and they hand them the crayon, and the kid draws a big X through the mother and father figure, and they applaud him like this. Oh, that was very good. That's the goal of these people through transgenderism, abortion, contraception, all of it. Why is it that people don't wake up to this idea? Well, Joe, let me mention in reference to the book. Uh, how clear I try to make it that the Republican form of government that was instituted here was almost totally dependent on the virtue of the American citizenry. All of the American founders were unanimous in this understanding that the virtue of the American people was the foundation of their freedom and the sustenance of this Republican government. George Washington made clear, and I think it was his first inaugural address, that there is an indissoluble union between virtue and happiness. Again, I provide multiple quotes from many of the founders reinforcing or making clear that this was a unanimous view. Are you what, Benjamin Franklin? Yes. Jefferson? Yes. The great James Wilson, the greatest natural law thinker among the founders? Yes, they all agree to this. This You can have a free uh, Republican form of government only on the foundation of the virtue of its people. And what was the source of this virtue? And where, where was it inculcated? And Washington and the other founders made clear in religion. So it's dependent upon religion and the formation of citizens uh, within their religion to inculcate those virtues. And without those virtues, you'll lose your free government. As you just said, Joe, you become, when you become a slave to your passions, uh, you will become a slave to the government, which will control or take control of these uncontrollable citizens. I want to hand it over to Joe Resinello, Bobby, because we could, like I said, we could talk to you for hours, but I, I wish people would wake up and understand that that is exactly what is going on. And that's why we're, we're grateful that you're joining us here at the front line with Joe and, Do Joe and Joe to discuss your book. Joe, where are we headed? I want to talk a little bit about culture. I mean, clearly politics is downstream from culture. And this is something, Bob, we always talk about. The solution isn't the, the political messiah. We have to change the culture. Reagan, who you work for, um, he basically said there can be no recovery without a spiritual recovery. He's spot on. The answer to our problems in America begin with God. 
it will change the culture and downstream the politics will change. Talk about Reagan's view on that, because that is our view. We constantly beat that this drum on the show, Bob. We talk about this constantly. The culture has to change before the politics changes. There's not a politician on earth that can fix this country right now. Yeah, Joe, I think you're absolutely right. And uh, I was always encouraged by President Reagan's insistence on that principle that spiritual recovery had to come first. And that's why I think today uh, one can come up with all kinds of uh, public prescriptions and uh, uh, recommendations on uh, reigning in the administrative state and uh, the, the drug problem. All of these things really are, as you would say, downstream from a recovery of faith. Unless there is a spiritual recovery, something akin to the Great Awakening, which was experienced in, in the United States in the 18th century before the American Revolution, uh, we're not going to make it. It's sad. <laughs> it's, it, it, it's sad to think about. That's one of the reasons why, Bob, Joe and I started to do this show is because we want to encourage, enlighten, strengthen, do whatever we can to bring forth these ideas that you and many others are, are, are trying to, you know, counter the current narrative with, you know, the idea of truth and logos, what authentic freedom is, what a real civil society looks like, what a real Republican and accountable form of government looks like. So, but it's, that's why I guess where we're at right now is the, one of the things we say is the greatest counter-revolutionary act you could commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth on all these things. Um, and that's what we are. We're, we're counter-revolutionaries, and it's important to be so. I don't want to get long-winded. Joe, what you were about to say. I, I want to say, we've talked to a number of people, and we've discussed this topic. As you were saying that, I was thinking of John Horvat. He wrote the book, Return to Order. And he uses the example of the prodigal son. Bob, listen, you're a smart guy, and your arguments are linear. And, and frankly, any objective person would listen to them. But people don't listen. They don't listen. They put up walls. The math doesn't compute. What Horvat says is this. Eventually, the prodigal son will say to himself, look where I'm at. I'm in the pigsty. It's time to go home and return to the father. And I always say, people understand pain, sadly. Do you think that will bring us back, potentially, where people, almost what Benedict said, Benedict XVI as Joseph Ratzinger, they will see the people on the hill, he said, a small minority, living well and happy, and they will want that, and they will change direction. Is that how our country potentially turns the page? I think that that is the source of hope, and I, I saw that hope resplendent at the March for Life with those 150,000 wonderful people. Uh, I think, really, the Catholic Church is the last hope this country has because it retains all the truths about man. Now, Joe, you said that the, the best thing you can do is stand up and tell the truth as did that young man in Loudoun County. The encouraging thing to me is that if one undertakes to do that, it will resonate. It still works. And it's not too late to tell the truth. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm too old to be canceled, and I've been canceled several times in my life. It doesn't matter anymore. It's harder for a young person who has their career in front of them and so forth they they will pay a higher price here, <laughs> but not later. Mm -hmm. uh, one has to make sacrifices, and this is worth sacrificing for. And there are still people with the spine to do this who won't lie and who have the courage to stand up and tell the truth. My wife and I have dedicated our lives to the formation of our four children, all of whom are fighters, um, and are undertaking this struggle in various ways. But the first thing was to equip them to think critically and also to be spiritually armed. Uh, and there are more people like that, I think, than we know. 
uh, and it's just a matter of doing what you gentlemen do, of telling the truth, and the truth will set us free, and that's what is required. It's going to be a time of uh, turmoil and tumult, and Joe, I think uh, what you say could well be true. I think right now we're in a pre-war situation. We seem to be sleepwalking our way to war uh, with this Russian-Ukrainian crisis. And of course, we're faced with tremendous dangers from China. We have neglected our defense. Uh, our enemies have not. And what may be that harsh hit uh, uh, about which you spoke could come from that kind of wake-up call. One hopes the hit isn't so hard that we can't recover from it. I mean, we, we were able to come back from Pearl Harbor because of the vast distances that day that allowed us, uh, let's say, a defense in depth. Uh, today, that's not going to be quite so available. But the wake-up call will, will, will show us that we have to remember who we are and what there is worth fighting and, if necessary, dying for. Uh, Isn't that what the founders did, Bob? At did, the end of the day, we, we speak very lovingly and glowingly and admiringly about the founders, rightfully so. But at the end of the day, you could one could be critical or not. The bottom line is these men knew signing that Declaration of Independence meant that they were committing an act of treason, correct me if I'm wrong, and that they could die for it. And many did die for it. I without, mean, it, without, yeah, without question, Joe, as you know, at the end of the Declaration of Independence, they say that they pledge their, their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. That's, you, can't, you can't do much more than that. You're right. They, you're right, they, Bob Riley. They did everything, and they understood that they were possibly signing their own death sentences, and they were going up against the most, the greatest power in the world to assume those blessings of liberty, which they believed they had been given by God. Now, Americans have done that time and again. In the horrific Civil War, they did it. My book, by the way, Joe, is dedicated to Major Robert R. Egan, uh, U.S. Army Air Corps died in Morocco in 43. I was named after him. Uh, I, of course, I never had the privilege of meeting him. So he was my mother's uh, older brother. And he was too old to be drafted in World War II, but he insisted on going. He had to get a special bill in Congress to get his commission. And when the, the Army was trying to discourage him, he said, no, I'm going, I'm a single man, and if I don't go, a married man will have to. That was the character of our country at that time. I don't think they made those sacrifices for this self-indulgent moral pigsty that so much of our country has become. And I think we owe it to them, to ourselves and to our children, to pick ourselves up and fight for what they did and fight for the truths that everyone understood at that time this country represented and for which they were willing to give their lives, as did my uncle. Mm -hmm. And of course, this is a this is a familiar story in many American families. I, um, you're one hundred percent right, and and uh, people like your uncle are the greatest generation. I mean, I I have family members similar stories. Um, what I'm thinking of though is this: they held ideas, truths that were absolute. You see, there's relativism in our society now. You have a truth. I have a truth. Even within our church, 
This has to go. How has that broken down? The idea that there are no absolute truths. You have a truth. This is what is a pervasive idea right now. Even in our church, there's a lack of clarity. Talk about the need for that. Somehow you're not crazy that you hold on to universal truths. Frankly, that's how society is built. Yes, well, that you put your finger on it, Joe, and what that's a denial of the role, the rule of reason. And once you say I have my truth and you have yours, well, whose truth uh, shall we live by? And that quickly devolves into right as the rule of the strongest, right? So there, there's no universal truth about our God-given inalienable rights. So we'll just grab what we can as an individual so long as we're powerful enough to grab it. And that's what, uh, yeah, that's what the, the source of this disorder. And um, the first thing you have to restore in people is a confidence in their reason to apprehend reality and that that rational order obtains and that it ultimately speaks of, of higher transcendent truths to which you have to conform your lives. Now, when people are immersed in, in this rationalization for their uh, personal indulgences and in whatever perverted passion attracts them the most, that rationalization is a very hard thing to break through. You, you, and that's why I think, Joe, you mentioned the prodigal son and, and something very wrong has to happen to awaken them. Some of them, of course, will not awake. They'll, they'll just, they're, they're goners. Uh, but the hope is that there's still some residual recollection of the roots of this order in there and the transcendent roots of this order and the absolute truths that obtain everywhere for everyone that are at the foundation of our founding. And then if we wish to keep this political order and live freely, we have to recover these things. You know, I'm going to tell you a little story. If we have time, my Bob, we have a, we have about three minutes. Go ahead. All right. So this is an interesting, I was talking to a Marine Corps officer. My son is a, an officer too. And the, how the transgender ideology and LGBT nonsense has in, infected the military. And he told me that the breakdown in his unit between those who buy into this and those who think it is complete nonsense isn't necessarily the officer and the enlisted men. He said, because some of the enlisted men have college educations. The, the differences between those who have gone to college, they see there's no problem with this agenda or with transgenderism. And those who haven't gone to college who know that this is complete nonsense because they haven't been educated beyond their intelligence and indoctrinated with all this relativistic nonsense. They still know this is junk. I can tell you from experiences uh, in front of abortion clinics, who gives the thumbs up, who honks the horn instead of screaming obscenities at you, it's the blue collar workers. It's the guys in the maintenance trucks. It's the landscapers. It's the garbage men. Those guys know. They still have dirt under their fingernails. They know what a baby is. They call things by their right names. So there is that, that residual knowledge. And they're not going to be shaken. And that's why we're, that's why we're winning. And these experiences I'm, I'm alluding to here briefly are uh, in uh, Fairfax County, which is one of the most liberal counties in the country. What way majority Democratic, but mm -hmm. still, let's say the street, the street feel is, is that we're winning this issue. And those are the people with whom, because of whom we're winning this issue. Bob, I'm reminded Bob Riley joining us at the front line when Joe and Joe, we're going to have to bring it to a close in a minute or so. I'm reminded, it's funny, Joe, you'll, you'll laugh at this. I'm standing in front of uh, Greater Planned Parenthood praying. Um, this was a couple of years ago. You mentioned blue collar guys. A guy turns the corner 
All right, he's got his window down. He starts yelling out the window, God bless you guys. Abortion is murder. God bless you guys. I couldn't help but be reminded that. I, I just, you know, gave the guy one of these. I was like, God bless you, brother. He's exactly right. Um, college isn't exactly all it's uh, cracked up to be. Robert Riley, where can people buy your book? Uh, and where could they learn more about you and what you are doing in this culture war? Well, the, thank you, Joe. What you could easily do is just go to Ignatius Press, uh, which has published America on Trial and Defense of the Founding. But of course, other booksellers have it. It's it's on Amazon and uh, uh, you know other other such uh, merchant sites. So it's it's very easily obtainable. And okay. if you want to find, just Google my name, and you'll have all kinds of horror stories from the left wing <laughs> press. <laughs> all right. Well. Um, so Robert R. Riley, it's a common name. So Robert R. Riley, uh, and make sure you look him up and follow Bob, buy his book. And as Joe and I always say, do not buy it on Amazon, buy it on Ignatius Press, support our Catholic publisher, support our Catholic authors. Robert Riley, we want to thank you for being here at the front line with Joe and Joe. And we want to thank all you wonderful people out there listening to us on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York metropolitan area, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content. And please, if you'd like, subscri subscribe to Joe and I on our website, uh, thefrontlinetv.com, thefrontlinetv.com. We got a lot of great content there. And as always, until the next time, remember, our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.